God has a plan and He will fulfill every promise. He promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. And He's going to do it. Everybody say, He's going to do it. He's going to finish what He started. Right? He's going to bring us into His glorious kingdom forever and ever and ever. He invited us to sit with Him on His throne. What an amazing invitation that He's given us to sit with God to sit with God for all of eternity. It's amazing, and we should never think lightly of it and be flippant about it. Lord, we just thank you for your love. Jesus, for your love. We just thank you again. We can never, ever, we should never get tired, and we can never, ever say it enough, Lord. It doesn't earn any more of it, but Lord, we just need to keep giving you praise and giving you thanks, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Well, last week I felt uh, like I wanted to just remind you of the love of Jesus, a very simple message, just the love of Jesus, his love for us, his incredible love for us. And I just want to continue along that theme, but I want to go to what always accompanies the Lord's love, which is his grace and his mercy. Everybody say grace and mercy. The Lord's grace and mercy accompanies His love. His love is for us. He loves us so much that He didn't even withhold His own Son. And I preached that last week, that His Son, the Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We don't even realize how big that is. And I've asked that question before. It's been asked many times. I'm not the first to ask it, but... Would we give our son, would you give your only son, give your only daughter for even one person in this room, people you love, would you sacrifice them right now for even one person in here? And the Lord did it so freely and so willingly, and he did it while they were cursing him, while they were mocking him, while he had been so marred that he wasn't even human looking anymore. It says they, they couldn't even recognize him on that cross. The Bible says that he died for us while we were still sinners. So before we even received him and for the ones that said, I don't want to receive you. I don't want to receive you. I don't want to receive you and literally curse him and reject him and push him away until finally that love penetrates their hearts and receives them. That love was there for them 100% their entire life, even while they were cursing him. What an incredible love that we have from God. God is for us. He's not against us. God has a plan and a purpose for us. Do you believe it? Do you believe he has a plan and a purpose for you? His plan is simple. His plan was simple. The very beginning, do you know what God created humankind for? Does everybody know? It was very simple. It was because God wanted companionship. God wanted friends. God could have made us any way he wanted. He's God. He could have created us like the animals. We are not animals, right? We are not like animals. It's amazing the similarity when you see a monkey peel a banana <laughs> and they use their fingers and they sit there so human-like, but that is not a human and you are not like them. 
Don't listen to that lie. They are not like you. You are not like them. You were created in the image of God, and the Bible says that only you were created in His image. He didn't create the animals in His image. He created you in His image, and He wanted to be your friend. He wanted you to also want Him to be your friend. He, he wants to be your friend, and, and He wants you to want Him as a friend. Sin messed that up. The devil got in mankind's ear, created sin, and sin created a separation. Jesus went to the cross to abolish that separation, to bring us back to that place of friendship. Now, the amazing thing about God is that we first have to recognize that He's still God. Everybody say, He's still God. Just as a father to a child, I love to be friends to my boys. And I would love for the rest of their lives that they would consider me their friend as well. But firstly, I'm still father. I'm still father. God is still God and he's always God. But you get to be friends with God. That doesn't lower God. That doesn't bring God down. That doesn't make him on your level. It just means that he's allowing you who are below him to be a friend to him who is above. On earth, we want friends with those that are on our level, right? We want to find, we want everything in common and, and everything to be the same and similar. That's what we pick our friends by. And God is not like us. We need to understand that. His ways are not our ways. And yet, he's called us friends and he's calling us in to that friendship. But I think many times there's a commonality about God. There's a familiarity of God. There's a, such a, um, a knowing of God in our minds that we forget that He's God. We almost forget that He becomes so much of a friend in our minds that we forget who He still is on the throne. Am I making any sense? He is still God. And instead of you saying, wow, I have this friend who's always there for me. He loves me. He never leaves me. I'm not saying to get rid of that. But instead of just staying there, what we also need to equally, equally receive into our hearts is that we also have a friend who is above it all. That that same friend who never leaves us, he is by us. I mean, all those things are true, but it's not just that. Sometimes we bring him down to that level and we make God small. You need to also remember that your friend and, and who's supposed to be your best friend, even your husband and your wife has to be second. That's what Jesus tells us, right? Even husbands and wives and children and your best friends on earth are second to our greatest friend, God. But sometimes we take that friendship and we make it human. We can't make it human. We must understand that that friend that we have is God. We need to be reminded today, not just of his love, but this incredible grace and mercy that God parts the Red Sea. 
Come on. That God put a pillar of fire, put a cloud by night. He gave the Israelites food when they were hungry. He gave them clothes that didn't wear out. He gave them shoes that didn't wear out. Their friend wasn't just a friend who's friendly and is always there for them, but the friend we have is God. Everybody needs to get this, and uh, we, we say it, we say it, we say it. I'm preaching to myself too. That I'm like, okay, God, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. And then the very first obstacle in your day, our actions, our sweat, our worried minds don't show that our friend is God. He's just become a friend again. You know, on earth, what do we want to do with our friends when we go through a bad day? Come on, everybody's smirking. You just want to vent to them. You don't really, they're not going to really be able to help you, are they? And honestly, if they talk too much, you tell them to shut up. I'm the one who had a bad day. <laughs> God is not just one to be vented to, but he is one who sits on a throne who actually wants to move on your behalf. Anybody encouraged today? I want to bring us into this book um, that is funny because it's so allegorical. Everybody say the word allegorical. <laughs> everybody, everybody know what that word is? Right? It's a story that creates hidden pictures, right? There's, there's other meanings in there, right? There's a story, but there's meanings in that story that point to two other things, and, and namely in our word, when we read stories, they point to God. This book of Esther, I haven't preached on it in about a year and a half, as far as I could uh, find in my notes. And it's so amazing as I started reading it because I'm like, man, there's so many allegories here. It's just, it's actually endless. So I'd like to preach to you from it, but as I give you an allegory from it, just know that there are many, many other levels. In fact, so many levels that, you know, we would have to do service after service after service to really break it down. But just to give you a little background, I think everybody here knows the story, but just a little background. I want to firstly read you a verse, and then I want to give you the background. It's Esther chapter 5, verse 1. Everybody say, uh, verse 1, on the third day. Everybody say, on the third day. It says, on the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered, everybody say, the inner court. On the third day, she entered the inner court of the palace. Everybody say, of the palace. And it was just across from the king's hall, and the king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. Anybody intrigued yet where this is going? It says on the third day, she entered the courts of the king. Firstly, what we need to realize about the book of Esther is it's a real story. In fact, the king was not a godly king. He was, he was not 
Jewish, right? Our Old Testament is the story of the Jews. He was a Persian king, right? It's King Xerxes or Ahasuerus, depending on your, translate, on your translation. And just some quick background of what's leading up to this moment right here. Verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, These events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as all the princes and nobles of the provinces. And the celebration lasted 180 days days. So this is not, even though this story is about an earthly king, this is quite an earthly king. He's like, I'm going to throw a six-month party just, and it's just to celebrate my glory. That's all that this was for, just to celebrate the kingdom. It was a 180-day display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. Verse 5, when it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people from the greatest to the least who were in the fortress of Susa, and it lasted for seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. The courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains, blue hangings, uh, were fat, uh, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embedded with, in marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. And drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs. And there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. Esther starts out with a, this is such a great story. Who loves the book of Esther? It's such really a story of triumph. It's a story of really Disney copied Esther in every one of their tales, right? Because it's a story of, of nothing, of no one, literally the dirt, right? The Cinderella, you know, the, the kicked aside, making it all the way to the king's ear. And so what happens is uh, in, on verse 19, it says, uh, what happened, right? Vashti, she says, um, I'm not going to come, right? He calls for his queen to come and show herself, and she says no. So in verse 19, it says, for sake of time, because this is not the sermon, I've just given you some background. So she denies coming to him, so they say, verse 19, if it pleases the king, we suggest you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked, it should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. It says in the Amplified, to give her royal, everybody say royal, position to another who is better than she. 
We're talking an amazing king, all right? This is an earthly king, but the allegory here is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The picture here is the king of kings. We're talking about a king like no other king on earth here in this story. This is the king of kings and a lord. And it says that there was a queen that didn't want to come to him, so he says, I'm going to create another way. I'm going to raise up a royal position that is better. And the picture here is that there was, God had created a way, God created through law, a way to get to him. And when that was betrayed, when that was trampled on, and when it was, when it just was always, it always ended up being stubborn and obstinate. The Lord says, I've got a better way. But he said, he said, I got a better way. He said, I'm going to put in that royal position. I don't think you realize the position that I'm offering. Ironically, it's a Jewish story, and it's actually in New Testament. When we read it as Christians under the blood of Christ, post the cross, post the resurrection, it's actually an allegory of the rejection of the Jew who said, I'm obstinate, I'm stubborn, God, I'll come to you when I feel like it, when I want to, when it's convenient, and you're not going to tell me, right? And that's the story we read from Genesis right through Malachi, isn't it? But Jesus stood in the gap and created a way for us. Amen. Let's just keep moving. Are we getting anywhere? Everybody getting this so far? And I'm talking to mature, so I'm not going through every little detail. Are we okay with that? You know, there's more details here. Everybody okay with that? Okay. So in chapter 2, it says, Esther was the daughter of Abihel, verse 15. And she was... She was Mordecai's cousin. Uh, Looks like he was uh, an older cousin, right, to adopt her. And it says, when Esther's turn to go to the king, right, remember what happened? The king says, let's go and let's look for someone better. So they call these young virgins in the area, all the beautiful virgins of the area, and they treat them for a year and beautify them. And finally, here it's her turn to come to him. And it says, when it was Esther's turn to go in to see the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai the eunuch in charge of the harem, and she asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. And Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign, and the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set his royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. Just quickly, because I'm taking us somewhere. This is all just background to get us somewhere. But quickly, Esther is a picture of humility. Esther is a picture that she submitted, she humbled It says that she could take anything she wanted to the king. Apparently there was some sort of take a gift or present herself in a way. And 
she listened, she submitted, she didn't want any part of trying to figure all that out, and she came and presented herself to the king. The king favored her. He loved her. It says in the New King James, verse 17, that he loved her more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor. Everybody say, she obtained grace and favor in his sight. The king granted grace and favor. There was obstinance, there was stubbornness before, and humility came in and grace and favor came in. Everybody say grace and favor. Vashti was stubborn, she was obstinate, and she was not able to receive the grace and the favor of the king. Esther was humble, and she received grace and favor. So what happens? We know the story. As soon as now she's in place, as soon as now she's in power as queen, uh, it says in chapter 3, verse 1, it says that King Xerxes promoted Haman son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, over all other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. And all the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For so the king had commanded, but Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? And they spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct. Since Mordecai had told him, had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage he had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. So allegory. I'm just going to keep setting this up. Are we okay? Are we getting bored yet? Is it okay me setting this up? This is like, sometimes I just want to just jump right in and preach some things, and sometimes it's worth the setup. What do you say? It's worth the setup. <laughs> we have this amazing allegory here. Now, let's just picture this just for a minute. We have the king of kings, right? This is a king of kings. He's literally a king of kings. There's 127 provinces. Those all are kings. So it's a king of kings. And then we have someone who's humble, and stands before the king and is received by the king in replacement to the stubborn and obstinance. We have the king of kings, and then we have Esther representing Jesus. Now, you can take Esther and you can represent you too, going to the king. But in this allegory, we have a picture here of Jesus who stands before the king, and we have Mordecai, who represents us with a channel to the king. Anybody getting this? 
Again, there's many, there's many allegories here. Maybe you've heard this one before. But it says that there was a plot, there was an enemy that wanted to take out, it didn't just say Mordecai, wants to take out all of his descendants, all of his seed, all of his brothers and sisters, all of the Jews. There's an enemy that wants to take you out. There's an enemy who wants to stop you. There's an enemy who has proposed, I don't just hate you, I hate your children, I hate everything around you, and I want to destroy it, and I'm set to do it. Are we aware that that is what the enemy, right, our enemy, the devil, is doing on this earth? Are we aware of that? So what is the response? It says in the book of Esther, chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Isn't that interesting? For three days, for three days, come on, there's going to be some victory. There's some victory for three days. And remember even Jesus, remember even Jesus sitting. I love the, we call this in Christianity, types and shadows. Types and shadows of the Bible. It's the, it's the pictures upon pictures upon pictures upon pictures. I mean, it's amazing when you start breaking down God's word, how it all points to the redemption of Jesus Christ. And it all points to you getting to him, to him giving his hand to you and welcoming you and him crushing your enemy. Every single story in his word points to the same thing. It points to us having this enemy, but if we submit to God and trust God and lean upon God, that God delivers us. And it's no different here in the book of Esther. And it says, just like even Jesus said to the disciples, he said, pray with me. I need you to pray with me. I'm about to face some things. I need you to pray with me. Remember when they fell asleep. So it says, do not eat for... Uh, or drink for three days, night or day, my maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And it says, if I must die, I must die. Isn't it even interesting that Esther says that she's going to die? She says it's against the law to go into the king. Remember, in the Old Testament, it was against the law for you to go into God's presence. It was against the law to go into the presence of God. You could not. In fact, the high priest had to be so cleansed, so clean. Remember, they tied a rope around his ankle. So that if there was even a hidden sin, the high priest was in there presenting the sacrifices that he was unaware of. And he drops dead in there in God's presence. They could pull him out. You cannot be in God's presence in the flesh. Now, the story here is that Esther doesn't die, does she? The king receives her, and that's what today's sermon, that's your, that's your sermon today that we're going to get to right now. We're going to get to it right, everybody say we're going to get to it right now. I'm trying. I'm trying to get to it. We're getting there. Jesus was willing to die. Everybody say he was willing to die. But Jesus didn't die, did he? Technically, he didn't die. They killed the body. The body went into the ground, but he didn't die, did he? Just as Esther was willing to die. You know the moment that she says, if I must die, and the moment that she, she stepped into the courts in chapter 5, verse 1, 
On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace. She was already dead. She had already died. Just as we must do. See, I'm pointing to Christ, but also Christ points back to us. What does he tell us to do? This is the picture of Christ going before the king in our place, and it's the very thing that Jesus tells us to do. Jesus says, follow me. You want to go to heaven? It's very simple. Just follow me. Jesus said, I'll show you the way. And it says that she entered the court of the palace. I love this. I love it. Let's pull this up in the New King James. It says, she stood in the inner court. If you understand the Old Testament temple, that was that inner court place, I'm telling you, that secret place, the hidden place within the temple. It's where God's very presence was. And in that place of his presence, like I said, in the flesh, you could not stand there. But it says that she came and she stood in the king's palace, the court, and it was across from the king's house. And while the king sat on his throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house, verse 2, it says, and when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she found favor in his sight. I'm here by the Lord to tell you today that Jesus was pleasing to the Father, right? The Bible says it pleased God to bruise him for our transgressions, to hurt him. He stood in the place that no man could go. Jesus took the place that was death, and it was a sentence of death, and he stood in that place for us. And the Lord looked at him with favor and said, yes, you can stand there, and we come into God's presence through that blood of Jesus. The Lord looks through the blood of Jesus. The Lord looks through the cross. And even though he sees a human being in, the, in, in, in our way, right? God doesn't see it, but he's, he's choosing to look through the blood of Christ. But he sees you. He sees your sin. He sees your faults. But he sees the blood of Jesus covering and he says to you in this church today that I found favor on you. That when I look at you, I look at you with favor because I look at you through Christ's blood. Because I look at you through his blood. And so many times, like I began this sermon, we become friends with God and then we bring Jesus down. We bring God down to our level and we think we're going to put him in the passenger seat of our car. We're going to go to work with him and he's just going to be our buddy for the day. And we forget that in fact, we have, have not brought him down to a place, but we have gone up to a place. When you come into Christ, you come into him. It's not even right to say, Jesus, come into my heart without then saying, but let me also come into yours. Because Jesus said, we're going to be one. I'll be in you and you'll be in me. Where is Jesus? Anybody know where Jesus is right now? Is he just here in your heart? 
Because my Bible says over and over again that he is seated on his throne. Just as this allegory here, Queen Esther was seated on her throne. You are sitting right now when we forget this on earth. And believe me, I'll sit right on this front row and listen to this very sermon to me because I need to hear it from the Spirit of God too that I'm forgetting recently that Jesus is sitting on his throne and I'm in him. And that the Lord looked at him favorably and he said, yes, your blood is enough. Your blood will cover I receive that sacrifice. I receive it, and you can stand in my presence. And we are in him. So God in heaven is not just looking at you on earth, but he looks to his son and sees you in his son. And so many times we're hurting, we're desperate, we're frustrated, we get flustered with life, we get, we get overwhelmed by the things of this world, and we're forgetting that we are sitting, present tense, in Christ, next to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's looking at you with favor. What we do, though, is we look at the situation. In our human mind, we look at the natural. <clears throat> and I'm going to get there, because so did they. So did they, but the response was different. <clears throat> it says... It says, and he held out, everybody say, he held out to Esther the golden scepter. This is so significant. Everybody say, this is so significant. <laughs> this is an amazing allegory. I think I'm okay. I'm just yelling. Do you realize what this was? Not only is God looking at you through Christ, Mordecai heard the story. <clears throat> Mordecai says <clears throat> to Esther, listen, I heard here on earth. Come on, let's just, are we all okay? Are you guys okay going allegorical today? Okay. Mordecai heard that there was trouble. Who's been hearing recently in your mind, or even in voices, accusations, and you've been hearing stuff about yourself, you've been hearing stuff that people are talking, you've been hearing even just real stuff, like you get a diagnosis on your body, right? Mordecai heard an issue. Mordecai didn't have access to the king. So Mordecai went to the one that did have access, which is Esther. We, when we hear in our minds, you're this, you're that, you're a failure, you're never going to make it, you keep failing God, you keep failing God, you're not committed, and you're going to die, and you're sick, you're going to this, you're going to that. We need to go exactly, we need to do, come on, there's a model here. We need to do exactly what he did. He went right to, come on, right to his access point, just as we can through Christ. This is, this is, this is so big, guys. Everybody says this is so big. <laughs> 
His word is so good to us. There's so much truth. It says, let me just read some things here. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we, everybody say we. You realize that's including everyone in this room, right? The we is we. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. We can get into the courts of the king and put a case before the king for the king to hear through the blood of Jesus. Just as Mordecai took the case that was against his people to the king through Esther, come on, standing in the gap, Jesus stands. Do you realize that Jesus actually stands between you and God's wrath? Humankind, come on, we were born in sin. Anybody here born sinless? Anybody in this room willing to raise your hand and say you were born sinless? <laughs> you were born into a sin-filled world, into a sin nature, and Jesus stands in the gap and covers that. And so because it says of the blood of Jesus, verse 19, verse 20, by his death, Jesus opened a new. What is the allegory said? I'm going to make a new way, a better way. There was a stubborn, there was a law. It was, it was obstinate and it was stubborn and it caused flesh and it caused striving and it caused you to try to do it in your own strength and it was impossible. So I'm going to make a new way. I'm going to make a better way, a way where you rest, where you're not restless and you're not lazy, but you rest. And Jesus stands and pleads for you before the Father. Do you realize he still does that present tense? Jesus is still pleading for us, even present tense. Right now, in this very moment, when a situation comes up against your life, just like it did to Mordecai, you have a direct line to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You have a direct line into the courts of heaven. Come on, everybody, do you realize this? You don't need to try to figure out how you're going to take Haman down. You don't try to figure out how to take the devil down. You're not going to take him down. Even in this allegory where Haman was actually given the authority by the king. I know our minds, we short fuse when we start thinking, wow, you telling me the devil has authority from God? Your mind, your human mind, it just starts short fusing. So don't even try to figure that out. Your human mind can't. So don't try. Are we okay with that? Anybody here okay with that? But nonetheless, he has an authority for a season, for a time that our human mind doesn't understand, but it was granted by the king. God has granted him authority. I don't understand that, but I do know this. I do know that even though he has a plot against me and a plot against my family and a plot against this church, I know that I have Jesus standing in the courts of heaven and I put my request, I put my heart in his heart before the king and make it known that this enemy of mine is trying to kill me. And the king hears it. It says... Jesus opened a new way, a life-giving way, 
through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts. Come on, what's this saying? Go right into the presence of God. God's presence. It's not goosebumps. It's not a cold or hot feeling you felt or didn't feel during worship. We're talking about Lord of Lords. Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. And you come in. You go into his presence. I do. I get it. I don't know how to get my human mind to get it, but my spirit gets it that Jesus is confused why we worry, why we fear. My human mind will still do it tomorrow, and I'm going to push it away and say, no, Lord, I trust you anyway. But my spirit really gets how foolish this is, because right now, if I will get this, I have access to the King of kings and Lord of lords to stand in his presence through the blood of Jesus Christ. It says, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Ephesians 3, same thing. Verse 12, we can come boldly. Hebrews 4, again, uh, tells us that we can come boldly. And John chapter 14 tells us we can ask anything in his name. We have the name, and this is where we want to get to. Let's go back to Esther. We have the name. Not only do you have the ability, come on, even if you can get this in your, in your mind today, that you can go into God's presence, it's more than that. Everybody say it's more than that. So many times as Christians, we think that is attaining, just to get into the presence of God. Someone, we were just talking about this, the Lord just gave TJ this revelation and you can ask him about it, but just to sum it up for today's service, we have all of eternity to hang in God's presence. While you're on earth, your goal is not to hang in his presence. It's to take, it's to go and get, it's to go and spend time with him, it's to go and make your request there, and then you are still, just as Jesus did for a season, he lived out a life on this earth, just as his disciples did, and just as we must live out a life carrying just as they carried the presence of God around in the ark, right? But that ark, what did it have inside of it? It had the law. It had the provision. It had the protection. All of the things that say come into us. The law gets written on your heart, which means that the presence of God is something now. Not only do we go into his presence, but you must get into a place where you carry it in your life. There is plenty of time, plenty. Come on, eternity upon eternity, upon eternity, to just hang in his presence. But we need to get his presence into this person so that then we can change the climate, not just for your own personal life, but there is an entire race of people that is going to be affected negatively unless you stand in the gap for them. That it's not just your struggle and issue, but sometimes the Lord lets you 
lets your struggle and your issue get highlighted so that you come to him because then when you're in, your pre- in his presence, then you have this revelation of, wow, it's not just about me, but it's about the entire Jewish race. Come on, anybody getting anything today? So it says in Esther, it says that he extended his scepter. It says in chapter 5, verse 2, that it says that he held out the gold scepter to her. If I could just sum this up today for, I had to do all of that to get you to this. The Lord has his scepter extended towards you today. Now don't touch it and say, okay, Lord, I'll take a 25,000 square foot beach house and two Lamborghinis in the garage. Because you probably aren't in his presence already if that's in your heart. You realized the clean? Listen, it's not you except that to get Christ's blood on you, what do you have to do? You have to be abandoned. Come on, just like the picture in Esther, you have to be humble. I'm not taking anything in to see the king. I don't take anything. Holy Spirit, what do you want to put on me? What do you want me to take into the king? I'll take what you tell me in because then I know he's going to answer. <laughs> I'm not going to bring, I'm going to bring my heart. I'm going to bring all my issues. But Lord, I'm going to make sure my request, I'm going to get this heart right I'm going to fast. I'm going to humble myself so that when I come into your presence and, and your scepter is extended towards me, the Lord has an answer for you. But firstly, get the heart right. This is your message. His scepter is extended towards you. And the Lord is just, I mean, I'm just, I'm like, bub, I'm boiling up with this in me. It's like in my bones today because the Lord wants to answer prayers. The Lord wants to take you from captivity. He wants to remove you from the grip of the devil, from the lies. Satan has brought, put lies in your mind, putting lies around you, lies of this and lies of that and lies even of sickness. And the Lord wants to remove those things from you. And what we need to do, is so simple. You can't work it up in the flesh. You can't try to make it happen. You just have to humble yourself in the Lord. You have to call a fast. You have to get into prayer to spend some days just emptying yourself. And then you come into his presence just like Esther did, just like Jesus did. Even Jesus went and said, Lord, here I present myself. Kill me. And we do the same. Just kill the flesh, kill me, and then we stand before his presence and the Lord puts out his scepter and says, I have an answer. I'm going to take down that enemy. It says, so Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. And that was just a symbol. That's what they did. The culture was. He granted it here, here. And it says, Verse 3, the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? It wasn't about her, was it? The king's quick to grant requests because it's not about you. You're dead. You're already gone. The Lord's got so many answers, but you're dead to, to you. You don't even care anymore. You care about God. You care about his kingdom. You care about your people. You care about your brothers and your sisters. 
And when we come into his presence and we're humble and we're empty and the Lord says, what is your request? We need to know this. Just like Jesus said in John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16. And when we ask in his name, it will be done. And in 1 John, it clarifies so that there's no manipulation. There was many manipulations of that. We'll just ask in Jesus' name for anything and everything we want. 1 John says, according to his will. It's very simple. We humble ourselves, get the Lord's will, get his heart. And then you need to know, come on, you have to know it that the Lord is for you. You have to know, I don't care what happens to me. I know that God is good. I know that God is in control. I know I'm willing to die. I'm willing to lay down this life. I know that God has a plan. And God, it says, he says, I will give it to you. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. If you know the story, the Lord deals with Haman, right? The king, he hangs, he hangs Mordecai in the very trap that was set, come on, even Jesus on the cross, right? We know this from the scriptures. And I, I say this all the time because it's such a significant point in his word. Even Jesus going to the cross, Satan was unaware of what this plan was. It says that if Satan knew what was gonna happen, he wouldn't have done it. And or the kings that on this earth that were associated with him that fulfilled it, they wouldn't have done it if they knew what was gonna happen. The enemy set a trap for Jesus, but Jesus trapped the enemy. Come on. The very stuff that the enemy has put you in and traps that he's put you in, if you will get before the presence of the Lord, and if we settled it, that there is no question that you have access through the blood of Jesus, there's no question. All you need to do is humble yourself just like the very first day you came to Christ. Lord, I receive you. I humble myself. I repent. Forgive me. That's the path of a Christian anyway. Do we get this? We have direct access into his presence and he has his scepter extended towards you to answer your prayers. And the enemy, it says that the very trap he was put in and the plan and plot, I love this, I'm, just, I'm going to read this last thing, okay? It's one last thing I want to read. It says, in chapter 8, not only did the Lord deal with Haman, right? The king killed Haman on the very trap. But it says, in chapter 8, verse 1, on the same day, King Xerxes gave the property of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. I'm talking a flip-flop, guys. I'm talking a total turnaround, the very things that have been trying to take you down and attack you and destroy you, it's going to turn around. If the Lord's here saying one thing, it's he's going to do it. He's got his scepter out and he's going to turn some things around in your life. The Lord's going to turn some things around. It was given to Mordecai. It was given to Queen Esther. It says, then the king, verse 2, took off his signet ring. 
That was his authority. The king took the authority that he had on his own hand, which he had taken back from Haman, and he gave it to Mordecai. The Lord not only is taking the enemy's plans and plots and crushing him, come on, and crushing him through his blood and crushing him on the cross, he's setting you on the very ground. And this is interesting because the devil had what we don't know a lot about him, but his job was in some way, shape, or form to worship God to reflect God's glory. That's what Lucifer means, light reflector. He was to reflect. So you take his position now, and not only that, you take all the glory that he could have had for eternity and eternity, and, and, and upon eternity and eternity, you take his domain. And not only that, you take his authority. He does not have the authority any longer. He's trying to get you to forget Come on, this phrase got thrown around and got twisted, but that you're a king's kid, that you are a son and daughter of the king, that you have access to the king. He's trying to get you to forget that because he wants you to get you to forget that the ring came off of his finger and got put on yours. And that authority was taken from Satan and it was put on your hand. And it says, Esther appointed Mordecai to be in charge of Haman's property. And it says, then they went again, verse 3, and they said, okay, now we have the authority, we have the domain, we have the turp. You know, the story could just be over there if we were selfish. The story's not over yet, and that's why I really have to just read these last verses because it's not just about us. So many Christians, they do get to that place. They got into his presence. They get a revelation of that. They get a revelation that Satan can't touch them, and they actually take the authority of Satan back, and they have this tremendous prosperity from God, and they forget that there's one more part to the story. That the entire race of your brothers and sisters, that there is believers out there, both that have been pushed and thrown around by the devil and those that have not yet come into the kingdom that need you. And it says, so she went again and it says, and I love this. I love it because it says, again, the king held out verse four, his scepter to her, but this is what's so amazing. She's pleading with him, and I think this is what God does to us. He holds his scepter out again. She pleads with him. She says, if I found favor, and if, he th and, and if he thinks it is right, and if it's pleasing, and so on, and it says, uh, then King Xerxes, verse 7, said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, I have given Esther the property of Haman, and he has been impaled on a pole because he tried to destroy the Jews. Now, go ahead and send a message to the Jews in the king's names, telling them whatever you want and seal it with the king's signet ring. Remember that whatever has already been written in the king's name and sealed with the signet ring cannot be revoked. So this is why they have a new one. And it says that they go out and they take this new decree with his signet ring, even though the devil had some sort of authority that we don't understand. The Lord took his ring off of his finger. He took his power back. There's a time where he's reigning. There's a time, but we don't live under his dominion. It says that they all picked up their weapons. Come on, guys. So we get this Christian picture here. They picked up their authority and they demolished the enemy. As the enemy came towards them, they destroyed them in the Lord's authority. And not only was Mordecai 
and Esther blessed and had the Lord's presence, and that's amazing. We have access to the king. We have his presence. We have his blessings. We have his authority. But they took it. They used it in the right way, and they pushed the enemy back for their entire race of people. Amen. Wow. I mean, I was fun preaching that today. (laughs) Hope you got something out of that. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you, God. We thank you, Jesus, for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you're with us, that your plan and purpose, Lord, will be fulfilled, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, that we would have a revelation of your love, of your grace, of your mercy, of your favor. Lord, that we would have the revelation of how much you love us and that you've already done it, you've already completed it, and that we would walk in that place that you called us to walk in. In Jesus' mighty name, thank you, Lord.